you would turn in your scriptures to Jeremiah 36. As we remember that the fire symbolizes God's word in the book of Jeremiah, his consuming fire, and the bottle symbolizes Jeremiah's tears for his nation, his people, as they refuse to repent. Beginning at verse one of chapter 36. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. It may be that the house of Judah will hear all the disaster that I intend to do to them so that everyone may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah, and Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah all the words of the Lord that he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah ordered Baruch, saying, I am banned from going to the house of the Lord. So you are to go, and on a day of fasting, in the hearing of all the people in the Lord's house, you shall read the words of the Lord from the scroll that you have written at my dictation. You shall read them also in the hearing of all the men of Judah who came out of their cities. It may be that their plea for mercy will come before the Lord and that everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and wrath that the Lord has pronounced against this people. And Baruch the son of Neriah did all that Jeremiah the prophet ordered him about reading from the scroll of the words of the Lord in the Lord's house. In the fifth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, in the ninth month, all the people in Jerusalem and all the people who came from the cities of Judah to Jerusalem proclaimed a fast before the Lord. Then in the hearing of all the people, Baruch read the words of Jeremiah from the scroll in the house of the Lord, in the chamber of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was in the upper court at the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. And from verse 11 and following down to verse 19, we find he is taken to the leaders of the country and they are very concerned about what he is saying and the response of the king. Verse 19, then the official said to Baruch, go and hide you and Jeremiah and let no one know where you are. So they went into the court to the king, having put the scroll in the chamber of Elishama, the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. Then the king sent Jehuda to get the scroll and he took it from the chamber of Elishama, the secretary, and Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood before the king. 
It was the ninth month and the king was sitting in the winter house and there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. And as Jehudi read, three or four columns, the king would cut them off with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot until the entire scroll was consumed in the fire that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard all these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. Even when Alanathan and Deliah and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. And the king commanded Jeremiel, the king's son, and Sarai, the son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, the son of Abdiel, to seize Baruch, the secretary, and Jeremiah the prophet, but the Lord hid them. Now, if you turn over to chapter 45, after you go on some holiday from somewhere, often you review your pictures and you ask the question, who is that? Some stranger is in the background. <laughs> Someone has got into the picture. I mean, it's hard to get everybody out of the way of Niagara Falls, isn't it? So you can have your picture moment. But there now is an app for that. There is an app that will allow you to erase background people. You can take them right out of the picture. They're unwanted. And, let you, and you can let your loved one be the star of every picture. The someone who is in the background very much in the book of Jeremiah is Baruch. Baruch was Jeremiah's scribe. He would write down a dictation, whatever Jeremiah said, he would write it. And, and as we just saw, sometimes he would serve as the very voice of Jeremiah because Jeremiah was banned. He wasn't allowed to go into certain places like the temple of the Lord. And so he would send Baruch there in his place. In chapter 45, Baruch gets his own message from the Lord. The word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Baruch, the son of Neriah, when he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch. The information that we're given about Baruch and who he is the son of and who he is the grandson of and the brother of all means that he is a very important person in Jewish society. He is from an elite ruling family and as well, he is from a military family. He, he, uh, his brother is, a, is, a, is a high up in the military. And so he is a somebody in the community. But here he's getting really tired of his job 
a scribe for Jeremiah. Look at verse 3. You said, this, now we have the, the words of Baruch, woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning, and I find no rest. He's getting really tired of his job. I mean, when Jeremiah was prophesying during the reign of Josiah, Josiah the king listened. Jeremiah was protected. Times were good. Now King Josiah is dead. He's four years into the reign of Jehoiakim, his son, and things are gone south. It's very, very bad. And so he says, woe, that is despair. He speaks of mental anguish and pain and sorrow, meaning grief. And he's weary, he's exhausted, he's groaning. There's audible noises coming from Baruch and his great sighs. <sighs> There's no rest. It's, 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 it's no, there's no break, there's no holiday, it's, it's all quite a drama. And these words are very strong words that he's saying. He is really down. He is depressed, he is discouraged, and he is worn out. And when you're in a dark place like Baruch, it's hard not to think only of yourself. It's hard not to always use the words I, me, my. Our focus is so, so much ourselves and our own suffering and we can catastrophize everything. Everything we speak about seems like a worst case scenario, our minds leap ahead to the worst possible outcomes and, and we all can do that. I mean, Baruch is used to being treated with a certain amount of respect. He's a somebody from a somebody family and now he's like a nobody. And he has followed faithfully a somebody prophet and now that prophet is a nobody. And his response to this suffering uh, is deep emotions, a self-focus, and we've all been there. Why does this have to happen to me? Why is this happening to me? I guess what we mean, uh, it should be happening to somebody else, <laughs> but not me. Maybe, just maybe, maybe nobody in the whole world has ever suffered as much as me. I mean, if you stub your toe, that thought goes through your mind right away. Nobody has suffered as much as me. My woe is the worst woe. My pain is the worst pain. My sorrow is the deepest sorrow. My exhaustion is like unto death. You haven't had problems until you've had my problems. You have it so good. You have it so easy. Don't we think of that sometimes with other people? They were born with the silver spoon in their mouth. Nothing ever seems to happen to them. 
and said that when other people have surgery, it's minor surgery. When you have the same surgery, it's major surgery. <laughs> Baruch is saying that the Lord himself has it in for him. The Lord has added sorrow to my pain. Today, as always in history, there are some who would say, the Lord wants you to be rich. The Lord wants you to be healthy. The Lord wants you to be a somebody. And in some way, Baruch has fallen prey to that sort of thinking. We don't know exactly what, but look at what the text says. He says in verse 4, Thus shall you say to him, that is Baruch, Thus says the Lord, Behold, what I have built I am breaking down, and what I have planted I am plucking up. That is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. Do you seek great things for yourself? Baruch had expectations in ministry with Jeremiah. I mean, he's from a great family. He's serving a great prophet. Josiah was a great king, serving a great God. And it's not too hard to go from there to, why not a great Baruch to throw into the mix? Great Baruch. We saw in chapter 36 how he had been sent by Jeremiah to read the word of God, the, the warning of God to the nation, and how, how that didn't go very well. I mean, they had to hide. They had to go into hiding, and, and the leaders were scared to let the king even know about it. And then when the king actually hears the word, he, he starts cutting it up with his knife and burning it. He wants, he wants them captured and they have to go into hiding again. And the end result is Baruch has to once again be the scribe and write everything out again, plus some more warning for Jehoiakim because of what he'd done. And Baruch himself with Jeremiah, they would be sort of kidnapped eventually. They would be taken down into Egypt by a remnant. There they would be poor and fleeing and and the people were actually disobedient to do that. And so, so much for great expectations. So much for that. Do you seek great things for yourself? What Baruch has discovered is that God's word is not popular after all. And that trial goes with faithfulness and greatness in the eyes of the world is a fleeting thing. And that being a scribe for a great prophet doesn't mean greatness in the eyes of the people. He discovers his family, his job, his money doesn't make him immune to suffering and pain and being hated and reviled for the Lord's sake. He's not immune to that. And nor are we, I mean, think of today how the word of God is, is, is despised. 
It's not popular morally in our country. The exclusive claims of Christ are, are absolutely an anthema to the secular people of our country. A few days ago, um, a U.S. congresswoman was caught, was filmed. Uh, apparently, they have some lounge they go to, and there's Bibles there, and she was caught hiding the Bibles. She was stuffing them into the couch, and she was hiding one in the refrigerator. <laughs> she didn't want anybody to read it. Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jeremiah was one of those prophets. So Baruch had something to learn. And our Lord is going to teach him and two illustrations are offered to help him learn. In verse 4, thus says the Lord, Behold what I have built, I am breaking down. And what I have planted, I am plucking up. Two illustrations, building and planting. Common to prophetic language, these illustrations. Two basic concepts of any civilization where people go, they build, and where the people stay, they end up planting. Shelter and food, building, planting. And it takes time, and it takes labor, and it takes love, and focus, and determination. It takes hope for the future to build and to plant. And God says, I built and I planted. And he's speaking of the people and the nation that he called into existence some 1,500 years before with Abraham and as he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. And, and he's speaking about taking them down into Egypt and, and then the book of Judges and the book of First and Second Kings and Israel teaching, revealing, calling them to obedience and he built and he planted and it all has come to this the total destruction of the nation imagine having built and planted for a thousand years cultivated for a thousand years and then you're you have to destroy it it's been so corrupted, it's, it's rotting and it's wormy. And, and what we can miss here is, is the heartbreak of God. And we, we're not supposed to miss that. It's more clear in the Hebrew, but we can miss it. When God says, I'm, I'm taking down or I'm breaking down, I'm plucking up. This, this is heartbreaking. 
I mean, when God came into the garden, you remember in Eden that he had made and he planted and after the beautiful wedding service and then they fell into sin and he says, where are you? Or with Cain, what have you done? Or with the, the billions of people, it grieved him in his heart that he had made them. I will blot out man whom I've created. Or in the book of Jeremiah, he says this, how I would set you among my sons and give you a pleasant land, a heritage most beautiful of all nations. And I thought you would call me father and would not turn from following me. He's speaking that as a father, his son has betrayed him. His son has left him like the prodigal son. And my people have forgotten me and forsaken me and betrayed me. And God is in mourning. He's in mourning. And how different, of course, his own son, when he sent his son into the world, he did the Father's will. Lo, I come to do your will, O God, Jesus said. When we reflect on the Father sending his son, to die and, and he, the son's rejection and the suffering servant of God and the agony of the garden, the slanders and the crucifixion. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And to think of today how what God has made and called into being is so defiled and the wickedness of man and the corruptions of our own nation and the betrayals and the worldliness and the perversity of our culture. What is our suffering compared to the suffering of God? Remember as Jesus looked over Jerusalem, he wept. And we are prone to indulge our own pains and sorrows and be blind to his. It's interesting how often we are asking God for help in the midst of our struggles and our pain. We're asking God to enter into our sorrows when the scripture actually does the opposite, asks or command us to enter into his sorrows. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, to enter into the sufferings of Christ and the heartache of our God In university, I was in a lot of plays, dramas. I had a number of lead roles and got a little used to being the star, I suppose, the central character. Eventually, they humbled me by asking me to play a bit part, 
I was to play a hotel clerk in this drama. And I had two lines, and they were very short lines. Not only that, I had to get off the stage at one point, change, go through makeup, and make an appearance as a taxi cab driver with no lines at all. I just had to pick up some luggage and leave. I did my parts, but it was, it was humbling to find that you're a background person in a great drama. And the Lord is making this point with Baruch. There's a bigger tragedy going on than what you're feeling, Baruch, than what you're experiencing in your own life. There's something so far bigger than your own personal drama. Verse 5, And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But I will give you your life as a prize of war in all places to which you may go. Israel and Judah, exile, God is fulfilling his promises. And he's saying, look, my heartbreak is bigger than yours. And you're, you're a bit player on the stage. You're not the star that you think you are. And so there's this understanding that Baruch needs to keep some perspective, that he's not the center, that, that we need to make room for God's heartbreak, and we enter into his suffering instead of only asking him to enter into ours. And that God is sovereign. And he is the center. He is the focus. He says, I'm going to let you live. That's the only promise God makes to Baruch. <laughs> I'm going to let you live. But you're not exempt from suffering. You're not exempt from trial. You're not exempt from kidnapping down to Egypt. You, you're not above all that. You're a background player after all. And so in the New Testament, Peter writes, in this you rejoice, so now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our personal dramas are real to us and they're complex. We struggle and we are sometimes angry and sad, sometimes grieving. Sometimes it can feel we're overwhelmed with the drama of our own life and what God has allowed to happen to us. And we can feel like Baruch. Well, we could do that 
that little game and try and like, you know, there's always someone worse off than I am. <laughs> that doesn't really help, does it? I don't know about you, but it doesn't really help. There's always somebody better, worse off. It's like, when you break your arm, you're not going to wax philosophical and go, there's always somebody worse off. It's like, get me the painkiller now, right? I want it now. Our lives matter to God. Our experiences and our struggles matter to God. Even though we are all bit players, we're bit players, but keep keep perspective. And don't let yourself become the center of everything. And remember God's heartache. Enter into it, his suffering the suffering of Christ and keep him at the center because he's sovereign and there is something very very big going on in our world when the play was over where I played the hotel clerk and the taxi driver I was the first one out to bow you know you got the bit part when you're the first one out People applauded politely. I knew they were waiting for the big stars. They knew they were waiting for the big stars, but they clapped. The German pastor Bonhoeffer said this, when a person has completely given up the idea of making something of himself, Then one throws oneself entirely into the arms of God. Then one no longer takes seriously his own suffering, but rather the suffering of God in the world. I think that is faith, he says. How is a person to become proud of success or to go astray at failures when one shares God's sufferings in the life of this world? Let's pray together. Lord, we are all background people here this morning. We are all the brethren gathered here, unnamed, unknown. We live our lives in Jesus Christ as best we can as disciples. We live our lives as Christians in a hostile world, in a hostile country, often invisible and obscure, but not to you, not to you, because you see and you do care and you don't erase us from the picture. You don't Photoshop us out of it. Help us, Lord, to keep that perspective. Help us to remember your heartache and to embrace your sovereignty in all things. Some days are easier than others, Lord. Some days are rainy and some are full of sunshine. 
In all things, we pray, we look to you, and we can say it's a beautiful day. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.